Welcome to the Wiser Wealth Management Roundtable, where we believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith. Guiding you to financial freedom are my co-hosts, Brad Lyons and Matthews Barnett. Hello, guys. Hey, Casey. How's it going? Good. So today's podcast is Everything 401ks. 401k is probably not the most exciting topic for most people. Some people don't want to save into the 401k because they have other things they want to do with their money, like car payments, mortgages, and kids. And there's a point in your life when, oh my gosh, I should have been saving in this 401k a lot sooner, right? We just had talked to our past selves. We could have told them. <laughs> Put money in my 401k. Talking so to our past selves, how often wouldn't we like to be able to do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, hit this from different angles. So we'll we'll look at it as there's probably people listening who don't know what a 401k is, like to learn a little more. And maybe there's more advanced 401k people that have other more advanced question. So let's start with the basics. What's a 401k? Okay. So the 401k is came out of the tax code years ago, and it essentially allowed employers to provide their employees with a retirement savings program on a salary deferral basis. So employees were able to defer certain percentages of their salary into a retirement account and let it grow and invest on a tax deferred basis. To go along with that, companies were allowed to also put in money into that savings account on a percentage basis as well. So it's it's commonly referred to as employer match. So the employee puts in a percent and the employer puts in a percent. There's a 2% contribution into the 401k plan. The 401k is managed by a group of trustees who are fiduciaries to all the participants in the plan. And it's the trustee's responsibility to make sure that all the investment options are low cost and broadly diversified, allowing a participant to create a portfolio that suits them and their situation as they try to save money for their retirement. The trustees are also one of their responsibilities to make sure that this maintains the audit proper controls. As it being a tax-deferred account, there are taxable consequences to money going in and money coming out. If an employee were able to contribute consistently over their entire working career, hopefully by the time they retire, they will have accumulated what may be the largest sum of money that they have in a single account. And so it's the the plan's trustee's responsibility to make sure that that employee has the opportunity to create the largest sum of money that they can use for their retirement. And it's the employee's responsibility to actually make that happen by electing to have money saved or deferred from their paychecks every month or every two weeks or whatever the case may be. So it's really become, it's a very efficient way to save money for your retirement it's on a tax-deferred basis. It comes right out of your paycheck, so you never see it. You never miss it. It allows the eighth wonder of the world, has been called, to be applied, and that's compound interest. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the earlier we get started as a participant, the greater the value of that money can potentially be at retirement 40 years later. It's a terrific vehicle for for retirement savings. And there's a lot to talk about in a podcast that's all things 401k plans. I think a question I get a lot of times, especially if you work for an employer that is maybe not 
you question if they're financially stable, but they still have a 401k plan that they're matching. If my company goes out of business, do they walk away with my 401k money? That's a great question. It should be answered. The money that goes into your 401k plan account is in trust, and it's held at a third-party custodian in which the employer does not have the ability to withdraw that money for their own purpose. That money is in trust in the participant's name at a third-party custodian. That's an important thing to remember. It, uh, is. it takes away some of the fear, I think, from putting money into the into the plan. Certainly there can be fraud where you thought the money was going in and the employer was not delivering it to the third party, but you should be able to catch that if you're on top of things just by looking at your statements, right? And and seeing that money is being deposited in there. Not your pay stub necessarily, but the brokerage statements from whoever manages your 401k plan. Right. And that's the trustee's responsibility to make sure that there is not any fraudulent activity occurring between the participant depositing money and that money being diverted in any way because the trustees are involved with reviewing transactions and reviewing the appropriateness of the of the 401k plan. Well, let's talk about some of the rules related to 401ks. The simplest and and most widely known is there's a maximum dollar amount that you can put into a 401k plan, which currently stands at 19,500 per year per participant. But if you're over the age of 50, you get a catch up. Yeah, I can think you can put another $6,000. $6,000 a year can go into the plan if you're over the age of 50. Yeah. And that's a great idea because earlier in our lives, the demands on our income is so high as we're family formation years, housing formation years, every penny is literally accounted for. So later on, as our incomes grow and some of our demands on our income may lessen, it gives us the opportunity to contribute more to that 401k. That's a good point. When when the family's taken care of and the kids are out of school, you really sock away as much money as possible to, to achieve that retirement goal. Yes, but it doesn't give you as much time and compounded interest as it does from your earlier years and your earlier contributions. Right. And when you're younger in your 30s, you're not able to contribute as much. But if you're able to contribute just a little bit, every every bit counts, as you mentioned, of compound interest. It adds up over time. And if you get out of college and you have your first job, if you could just put away 10%, 10%, just pretend like it doesn't even exist, right? Alter your lifestyle where that 10% is like you never had it. Think about the compounding on that. That's why I say pay yourself first. Just go ahead and set it aside and then <laughs> right. kind of forget it and learn how to live off of the rest of the, right. the amount. We have so many clients that say, can you talk to my grandson? Can you talk to my son about saving for retirement? And that's not what's on their mind when you're in your 20s. You're still invincible. And But we do have young clients here. We have young professionals here that have done that. Keep very strict budgets and saving very well. Ironically, when they talk about their own upbringing, their parents generally were just train wrecks when it came to saving. It's more of like, I don't want to live like that. <laughs> and so they go to the far extreme. It's something that we all should be doing, but we see that we see that in our planning where you meet with someone who has 10 years to go and they say, well, I can put in, I can put in 24,000 a year into a brokerage account in addition to maxing my 401k. And a lot of times that only adds a few thousand dollars a year in benefit but if you did that 20 years prior, 25 years prior to retirement, it makes a huge difference in your income. And that's that compounding part. That's right. why it's so important to start early or at least put something in there. 
We talked a little bit about the maximum which can be put in. Think about what the minimum is. Think about our your situation and what's the minimum to put into a 401k plan. And there's an answer to that. Casey, you mentioned, just think if you had put in 10%. Well, if you couldn't afford 10%, what is the minimum to that? I think the minimum is, if your company does match, it's at least what the match is. So if it's a 4% match, you got to be putting in at least 4%. That's a 100% return on your your deposit. <laughs> That's true. It's, yeah. it's extra You put income. in four, they put in four. <laughs> in your first year, you have 100%. Return. Matthews, I think you have some stats on who's participating. and Yeah, well, I was going to say, even if you couldn't, I know you want to put in for the match amount, but just any little bit helps. With the advent of automatic enrollment in plans now, it's really helped the uh, participation rate to go up over 92%. So really, when you're enrolling your 401k now, a lot of plans have the option of you have to default out. But if you're not defaulting out, it's automatic enrollment into the plan. And then each year there's auto escalation where it might increase one or 2% based on what you choose. So it kind of is a good way to get yourself invested and kind of forget about it without having to see that come out of your paycheck all the time. I think that's interesting. I think a lot of that was legislated. So a lot of that was put into place by Congress, but I think it's funny how complacent people get, right? So they were too lazy to default in. (laughs) Now they default out. And now they're too lazy to default out. So it's a, it's a force. It's a forced savings, which inertia uh, <laughs> seems it's to be hard working. to get people to move. It's a little psychology in the, in the in the rules there, I guess. Right. And going back again to the max, in some cases, there's a spouse working, and and the couple make will make a uh, a vow to say oh, we're going to save all this income. You can't always put in a hundred percent. A lot of plans will cap you out at fifty percent of your income to go into the plan. So you have nineteen five is your max under the age of fifty. But if you made nineteen five working, you may not be able to put in a hundred percent. It really each plan's a little bit different in how they and how they structure that. Well, let's transition a little bit. Let's talk about the Roth side. So a lot of plans have Roth four hundred one ks built into the four hundred one k. So you have a choice when you're saving. Do you want to save into a traditional side or do you want to save into a Roth side? Matthew, you want to walk us through that decision process? Yeah. So the the Roth 401k, as opposed to traditional, is not with pre-tax dollars. That would be with after-tax dollars. They still grow tax-free, but when you pull those funds out, they're actually, because you've already paid the taxes, they are tax-free funds as well. We didn't really mention, I don't believe, that with the traditional 401k, there's what's called the required minimum distribution. What used to be age 70 and a half, and now recently due to the SECURE Act, it's now age 72. Traditional 401k requires that you actually withdraw a certain percentage of your account each year. The Roth 401k uh, still has that requirement, but you're able to roll it into what is called the Roth IRA if that's a possibility in the future. So kind of pre-tax versus post-tax accounts you can invest in. And a Roth 401k is not the same thing as a Roth IRA from the savings standpoint. Correct. So we don't ever want to get those confused. Those have a different limits and have income restrictions. A Roth 401k, there is no income restriction in contributing to that. Right. I think my general rule is if you don't know if you should be traditional or Roth, it's good to be half and half. So you'd put half that you're, if you're saving 10%, you put half in traditional, half in Roth. The idea is in the future, you have two buckets, one taxable, one non-taxable to choose from depending on what the tax environment is in the future. Right. It's tax diversification. Correct. There are people who say you should do all Roth all the time. And there's people who say you should do all traditional all the time. Both sides have tax assumptions that may not be correct. So if you do 50-50, 
that works that works out really well. Now, if your family is in a extremely high income scenario and you're maybe with between Fed and state, you're paying forty percent, forty one percent tax, then I'd probably say you're probably not going to be in that situation in retirement. So maybe you start leaning more toward traditional because you're saving nearly forty percent of every dollar going in, right? Where if it's more standard household income, I think fifty fifty is a good way to good way to approach it. Yeah, you mentioned the taxes. That's kind of based off in retirement. Do you think you'll be in a lower tax bracket based on the income, or will taxes overall be be higher? So kind of playing that that middle ground of what you think. All right. So we know that in a four hundred one k, we should have a choice between traditional and Roth. We can put in nineteen thousand five hundred dollars a year into the four hundred one k of our own money. If we're over fifty, we can put in another six. But the actual limit inside a 401k is around $57,000 a year. And so that limit is actually not reached by you because you are, as the participant, are stuck to those 19.5, right? Plus the 6,000 number. But the employer matching going in on top of that would take you higher than that number. Your max does not include the employee match. And then some companies have what they call a defined contribution portion of a 401k where they're going to contribute whether you contribute or not. A lot of times we'll see companies put in two to 4%, whether you're contributing or not. Some of our airline pilot clients, they're anywhere from 13 to 16% of their money gets put in by the company, not their money, but the company's money of their salaries. And that exists because there used to be pensions in the industry and now there are no longer pensions. So this was negotiated by the by the unions. And so we've seen other companies do that too, but it's more like the 2 to 4% variety, not the 16% variety. From an audit purpose, that's called safe harbor rules. And it allows companies or sponsors of these 401k plans, and they have their annual audit each year, they have a safe harbor against situations that may occur that would put their plan into non-compliance. Because if you have a automatic 2% match for every employee, that means that every employee is getting a contribution. And you're not just selectively allowing people who have higher incomes, who therefore might have higher discretionary income to save into the plan. The tax code tries to look after the lower income earner as well as the higher income earner in these retirement savings plans. So I was wrong on the on the max. It's actually fifty nine thousand now. So we'll make a note of that. Up to fifty nine thousand can be contributed to a plan. It's just nineteen five is right. your, your and that max. can be contributed in several different ways. It can be like the match, as you said, or straight out contributions or profit sharing. Profit sharing is another way to have money in your added to your four hundred one k. Yeah. At the end of the year, the company decides they have excess profit, and they they will can hand that back to the employees through that. That all goes to the traditional side. That you can't get that into the Roth side. That's right. Is small business owners as well. Profit sharing is a great way after the books have closed for the year to be able to write off expenses referencing the prior year. So you can actually lower your, lower your tax burden in a 401k. Let's transition a little bit and talk about our investment options. So now we know that we can contribute. Brad, why don't you kind of walk us through what these investment options traditionally look like inside a 401k plan? Well, traditionally, the trustees for the plan create what's referred to commonly as an investment lineup. So in an investment lineup, you're probably going to see a variety of funds that allow participants to put money in on a periodic basis. And you're going to see domestic equity funds, domestic fixed income funds, 
international equity funds, internationally fixed income funds. You may see some alternative funds like a real estate fund, et cetera. Plus, beyond that, a smattering of different types of funds that participants and employees could use to create a portfolio. So you're going to see large cap equity, mid cap, small cap, international emerging markets, fixed income, and perhaps real estate. And beyond that, it just becomes a matter of whether or not the fund is going to be an actively managed fund, where there's a fund manager making the investment decisions, or a passively managed fund in which you're investing completely into an index. The cost associated with each of those different funds, as you've heard us talk about in the past on podcasts, can vary greatly. Huge difference between an actively managed fund and a passively managed fund. And as a participant, you may be given the choice of one or the other to invest in. For participants who are not interested or don't feel they have the capability to create a portfolio of these funds offered to them, the trustees are putting in something that into the lineup that may be called a target date fund or a lifestyle fund in which the fund manager has created a blend of the different funds either in your plan or a blend of funds that they offer, which includes equities, fixed income, and others in a proportionality that you have more risk for longer-term funds and less risk for shorter-term funds. So quite often they have a name associated with them with the year in which the participant plans to retire. So if you were planning to retire in the year 2025, you would find a fund called Lifestyle or Target Date 2025 because that matches the time frame that you're going to to retire. If you're not going to retire until 2055, you would look for a fund in the fund lineup that was called Target Date 2055 or Lifestyle 2055. As such, there's going to be different amounts of equity which have a higher volatility associated with it than fixed income so that you have a glide path of risk in your portfolio that is higher in your earlier investing day and lower in your as you approach your retirement time frame. Generally speaking, the trustees are charged with finding the best funds at the lowest price point that they offer in that fund lineup because fees can have a tremendous effect on your returns over long periods of time. So as a participant, you would want to find the lowest fee possible for each one of your investments, given that it can reach your investment objective and create a portfolio for you that is a diversified portfolio. Typically, the larger companies had cheaper fees, but now there's been sort of a revolution in small business 401k plans where small companies can have just as small of fees as well. And if you're a business owner, you got to stay away from the insurance-based 401k plans that say, we can provide a 401k plan for you for free. I believe that it's a moral obligation of the company to provide their employees because usually the business owner is getting the most benefit from the 401k plan, generally speaking, is to cover those costs so your employees have ultra-low costs going forward. Otherwise, I'm not going to call it stealing, but we're approaching in these insurance-based products nearly 3% fees per year. Now that'd be for the business owner too. He'd have to, he or she'd have to pay that 3% also, but you could also pay for admin fees and things on the other side. So your employees 
have lower costs. That's that's what the larger companies have been doing. And some of those you see the S&P index funds being 50 basis points, which is a little ridiculous. Half a percent. Right. Yeah, that's So it should be relatively free. So I think it, that's important as well to see the expense ratios on those. But even in expensive plans where you can't control the plan options or the plan costs, you're, you're just working there, right? Um, there's going to be a lesser of all evils. And so that's, that's where sometimes we have to think about uh, professional should maybe look at that, look at your investment options and say, okay, well, it's not perfectly diversified, but this is how I would do this to, to capture the lowest cost going forward. Uh, and we do that here. Uh, but other advisors I'm sure would be happy to, to chime in and, and look at those allocations as well. Well, something that's interesting about contributing in your, your 401k is it takes advantage of one of the basic principles of investing, and that is dollar cost averaging, right? Because you're putting money in and regular amounts over periodic time periods, and you're allowing the fluctuations in the marketplace to determine the number of shares that you're buying at each period. And we've just seen this where prices of securities dropped during the pandemic that that what's been going on. And so during those time periods, you're actually buying more shares of each one of the investments. So it's forced discipline to for you to dollar cost average into your 401k plan. So it actually takes advantage of fluctuations in the marketplace. That's a good point. You're not trying to time the market. You're just continually investing. Sometimes it'll be higher, sometimes it'll be lower, but over the long term, it, it works out your advantage. That's correct. If you have expensive investment options, sometimes plans will offer what they call a brokerage link, where you can actually take assets from the plan, move them into a brokerage account, all set up through the plan, not your own personal brokerage account. And you can invest in anything. And there's usually a, a cost per transaction. I've done this in the past with clients who had not so great initial investment options and got into the brokerage link to get access to lower cost index funds. But index funds, the trend now is to always have index funds in the plan. There's been some class action lawsuits on some very large companies that, that did not offer those. There were very high profile cases. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we've seen even the worst plans get a lot better just by adding those basic index funds, which really helps the saver over their lifetime reduce cost. So typically I say stay away from individual stocks inside your brokerage link and most mutual funds are going to underperform the index fund over the long time anyway. So if you have index funds available to you in your 401k, there's no reason to be using a brokerage link unless you're just trying to do something very unique and special just for you. Generally, I'd stay away from that, which goes back to, we have a other podcast on about behavior. 401ks are not meant to be traded on a daily, weekly, monthly, maybe not even on a quarterly basis. Really, it's you have an allocation that's right for you and your financial situation, and you should leave those there and let them ride the ups and downs of the market. Because to your point, Brad, you're putting in your dollar cost averaging. So when things are really bad, if you're still working, still earning a paycheck, a percentage of your income is buying that stock. What I like to tell younger people is your objective is to buy as much stock in the S&P 500 or whatever index you're tracking that you can, right, is to get as many shares as possible. You want as many shares as possible. And that, that means lower prices. So if you're working, you want lower prices. If you're retired, you want higher prices, right? <laughs> and, and time generally says you have lower prices now than you will in the future. So that's why you have to start early, 
buy as many shares as you possibly can, and those shares will appreciate over over the long term. In the short term, we know the stock market's a very scary thing. We've seen fluctuations 60% up, 60% down. We know over five years, it's around 20% up or down. We know over 10 years, a worst case scenario is break even. And I believe over 20 years, the worst case scenario was uh, around 6% up per year. But you have to have good behavior and not be moving into cash and bonds uh, based off your emotions. What else do we have to add on the forum we had discussion? Well, there's always the conversation, which is always more fun, and that is accumulating money, putting money in, talking about getting that account balance up to the point where it can be turned around and used in your benefit for making those pension payments to yourself or retirement plan payments. Withdrawing money from a 401k should be planned very carefully because your distribution election is often irrevocable. And at that point in time, I would be remiss if I didn't tell people to get good advice on withdrawing that money from your 401k. It can go into an IRA account. If you're employed somewhere else, maybe can go into that new 401k plan if it has good investment options. It all has to be considered. But that distribution from the 401k is a very important decision and should be thought through very carefully. Generally, the investment options to informal case are built for growth. They're built for the younger employees, not so much focused on an older employer group. So I generally always recommend a rollover in retirement. You need the allocation that's not provided for inside the uh, traditional 401k. Well, 401ks are designed to get savers and employees to retirement, whereas IRAs are designed to get account holders through retirement. Correct. And also, too, you made a good point. A lot of times, once the rollover, hey, rollover assets are our company, a lot of times it's in your best interest just to roll the 401k into the next 401k where you're employed, especially if it's it's a large entity and they've got uh, really cheap pricing on their investment options. That makes a lot of sense to do that. Yeah, I agree. And it's something that you, know, you need to, to investigate to see what is the best option for you. And quite often that can be. I guess we'll add here at the end, it's not the focus of this podcast necessarily, but if there's a situation where you had to withdraw from the 401k plan, you're under the age 59 and a half, there are some hardship provisions usually built in the plans that will allow you to loan against the 401k. Mm-hmm. In some cases, you can actually just do a withdrawal and pay the income tax. The CARES Act recently allowed for for that as well. If you're affected by COVID, you could do a withdrawal. Typically, that's the very last resort you're robbing from your future self. So you have to really think about that before you decide to withdraw money. Right. And every plan is different. So it's if that is the last resort, you still need to check with your plan sponsor to make sure that's even an allowable option as well. And then the next question that everyone asks us, based on my age, have I saved enough? How do I compare to everyone else? We get that question so often. Well, I saw a figure, it depends if you're, if you're younger, by 30, they say that half your salary to a all of your salaries should be saved into a retirement account. So for instance, if you were making $60,000, you just have anywhere between thirty dollars and $60,000 saved up for retirement. While that may not, may not seem like enough, it is starting the process and with compounding and eventually making more money and setting more aside, that can be a good start to help out. Absolutely. I like to say every family is different. Every family has different needs. So how much you have saved may be enough for you may not be enough for somebody else or maybe twice as much as someone else needs. So it's all very independent, but I think human nature, we all want to compare ourselves to other people, I guess. Keeping up with the Joneses. Exactly. 
All right. Well, guys, this is a good intro to 401ks. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.